Turn, if you would, to Psalm 8. I know some of you are curious what happened to Psalm 6 and 7, but I got tired of David running for his life and people trying to kill him. It seemed to be a common theme throughout David's life, though, so you can understand why he wrote a number of psalms regarding that. Psalm number 8 is a song that is often sung. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. I told you multiple times in here when my children were younger, they would ask to hear the chapstick song. And it took us years to figure out what the chapstick song was. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's it right there. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy of, and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is a psalm of praise to God. It is a psalm of praise of how great God is. And then the phenomenal idea that this great God, for some reason, cares about us. That's the point of the psalm. Here you are, God, this great being, yet you have taken us and put us into a position of authority in creation. Isn't that amazing? That's the point of this psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Just a quick aside. If you've ever jumped to the front of your Bible and read not Genesis, but before that, before the table of contents, there's usually a discussion about how they translate, how they signify the names of God in this particular translation. And in the ESV, as in a lot of others, they have settled on a convention. If you notice, the first Lord is in all capital letters. O Lord, our Lord. Whenever you see the name Lord in all capital letters, that is God's covenant name with Israel. It is what? Yahweh. When he says that, he is saying, I have a relationship with you. I have a covenant with you. That is his covenant name. So you notice that when he says, O Lord, our Lord, the second Lord means Lord. So Yahweh, our covenant God, is our Lord. He exercises authority over us. O Lord, our Lord. He's not just repeating himself. He's actually giving a description 
of the relationship that they have with God. O Lord, our Lord. Now, in this sentence, is he saying something about God? Yes, he is. Or is he saying something about his relationship with God? And the answer is, yes, he is. He is saying that he acknowledges that God, Jehovah, the covenant name that we have, is our, by right, Lord, and has the right to tell us what to do. I know, I don't know what it's been now, 20 or 30 years ago, there was a huge debate in evangelical circles regarding the lordship of God and how necessary, if at all, it is to accept that when you become a believer. And I, like I do in lots of these debates, go right down the middle, okay? The answer is, if you and I, forget you, if I am acknowledging God as the Lord, I am obligated to accept his word, not as suggestions, but as commands that I am obligated to follow. And it's not that he is an oppressive tyrant, but he is a God who loves us and instructs us on how we ought to live our life. This entire psalm is going to talk about us and our relationship with God, but you could almost argue that it's written in a pre-fall condition. Because the reality is, David is saying, you are my Lord, but we as sinful human beings fight that tooth and nail every day. We're going to see this in just a moment when we talk about having dominion over nature. In Genesis, Adam and Eve are created, and they are given dominion. They are given control. They are given the right to use nature. But we in our sinful condition have taken that right and turned it into a, well, not stewardship, but rather the desire to satisfy our lust for more in each and every situation. But that is not the way that God had intended it originally. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Majestic is your name. Where? In all the earth. Hmm. I bet you and I could walk down the street and find a house or a neighborhood or a classroom in this... No, not that. Um, we could find somewhere that God's lordship is not acknowledged in our world today. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, every corner of the earth, ought to acknowledge the lordship of God. But the reality of the fall is that we don't do that. This passage with the discussion of the lordship of God and our failure to acknowledge that, hi there. 
reminds me always of Romans chapter 1. You know Romans chapter 1, right? Where he says, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen through creation. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. All of humanity ought to acknowledge God based on the information that we are given in creation and the information we are given by revelation. But we don't. We don't. Romans chapter 1 goes on to say that we have chosen to worship the created rather than the creator. We worship stuff. We worship things that God has created. So, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth is the answer of how it ought to be. There is no centimeter of this universe that is not under God's control. Now, I know what you're thinking. It sure looks like he's messed up pieces of it. He's not doing very well in this location or that location. What went wrong? What went wrong was humanity chose to worship the creator rather than the, uh, the creation rather than the creator. So, this is what ought to be. No, this is what is. It's just that fallen humanity refuses to acknowledge it. There is no problem with God. There is no problem with his ability. The problem is with us as fallen human beings. The problem is, is that you and I fail to acknowledge God as, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. This speaks to the greatness of God. It speaks to the span of his authority, which is over all creation. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the, to steal the enemy and the avenger. You have set your glory above the heavens. Quick question. Easy question. Don't answer it. It's so easy. Because if you answer it, you're liable to give the wrong answer, and the answer's easy. What is God's glory over everything? There is not a piece of the creation that God's glory does not cover. But then we have this strange phrase, out of the mouths of babes and infants. I am re-entering that stage of life where I spend time with babes and infants. You know that, right? I raised our children. Well, no, Teresa raised our children, and she did a fabulous job of it. We raised our children, and now we have tiny ones. And guess what a tiny child is? Pretty much helpless. Now, let's face it, right? You watch them like a hawk because you're worried that they're going to get into something that they ought not get into. And I might add, by the, by the way, because you know all this, 
when they get to be teenagers, you do the same thing. And when they get to be 20, they, you do the same thing. And when they're 30s, you, well, you know the picture, right? Why would he say, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have established strength? Let me tell you about God's economy, God's ways of doing it. Here are the massively powerful of this world. The kings, the queens, the presidents, the armies, the generals, the religious leaders, here are the massively powerful of this world. That's on side A. And on side B, we put God's little finger, and he tells an infant, he tells that which is weak in the eyes of the world, to proclaim his glory, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, and that weakest child who is with God outweighs the power of the generals, presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, whoever of the world. We see this verse actually used in the book of Matthew. You remember? The triumphant entry, you know, everybody's singing Hosanna, wonderful, wonderful. Palm leaves, you know the picture, right? And somebody complains, tell these people to be quiet. And what does Jesus say? Out of, out of the mouths and babes, of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Depending on who you talk to, these babes and infants could be a lot of different people. It could be real life, honest to goodness, babes and infants. But what it signifies is those who are weak in the eyes of the world. God has chosen those who are weak to accomplish things that are unimaginable. I mean, let's think about this, okay, just for a moment. Peter, let's just pick Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Now, I don't know if he was a good fisherman. I don't know if he's a bad fisherman. All I do know is that the first opportunity he had, he left because he must not have liked being a fisherman. No, he left because Jesus said, come on, and he came on. So he goes and follows Jesus. At some point, Jesus has to tell him, get behind me, Satan. You're not doing what God wants you to do. At some point, he denies that he even knew Jesus to some little servant girl. I mean, if you're looking for people to rule the world, it's not Peter. And yet Peter and the other apostles turned the world upside down through the power of God. Here's the power of this world, and here's the power of God. And God can take his little finger, and he can appoint this fisherman who is questionable in his behavior, and that fisherman and the other apostles can change the world. Because God has appointed babes and infants to demonstrate his strength against the powers of this world. We saw this actually, what, in Psalm chapter 2, 
where it says that the nations rage against God. And I just love the passage because it says God sits there and laughs at them. Can you imagine? I mean, it's in a simple form, it's this picture. You have a one-year-old who gets ticked off at you and they attack you. What are you going to do? You're going to laugh and think it's the funniest thing in the world because you have all this anger in this little human being who has no power at all. And that's what God is saying about the nations of this world. He just chuckles. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and infants, out of the mouths of those who have no power and authority. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Remember, we just skipped two Psalms. Why? Because I just told you. I'm tired of, of listening to David running for his life. But guess what? David was always running from his life, and he always knew there was an enemy, he always knew there was an avenger, and he always knew that God was going to take care of him. That's what David teaches us. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? What we have here is a good old-fashioned contrast. David, sitting there as a young man, tending his father's sheep. He's sitting out there, huddled around a little fire with a blanket over his shoulders, and he's looking up at the sky, and there are stars everywhere. I mean, you and I today have trouble remembering what all the stars used to look like. Why? Because we have light everywhere that drowns them out. But David would have sat there knowing what creation looks like. He would have sat there and go, wow, that's a lot of stars. He would have seen the moon. He would have seen God's creation. And he would have gone, wow. Now, you and I do this today. We drive to wherever, in our case, Colorado. Why? Because one of those little munchkins that I mentioned earlier lives there. But when we're not looking at the little munchkin who lives there, we sit there in awe of, wow, that's a cool mountain. You drive through the mountain and you see the trees turning, and it's cool. It is the beauty of God displayed to us. You really can see God in creation. Now at this point, we could have a long discussion about that particular topic. It happens to not be the subject of this. The subject of this is, look how great creation is, and then God took whiny little me and set such value in us. But let's do talk about nature for a while, because that's cool. God has created all that exists. 
We sit there and we admire something and we look at it and go, wow, what did it take to design that? Now, I know that it is not acceptable today in certain circles to talk about things that way because we know, so it is said, how these things really happened, right? You started with this tiny creature, and through the law of survival of the fittest, those genes that were useful for the spreading of that particular genetic thing produced the next thing, and the next thing produced the next thing, and the next thing, and after a couple of, well, billion years, up popped me. Somebody's disappointed. But I don't believe that. I do not believe that the increased complexity that we see in nature is possible through a random process. I just don't think that happens. When I see creation, I see a creator. We call it creation. Why? Because we believe there is a creator. We look at it and we say, somebody designed that. Every time we had a baby, and we had a lot of them, <laughs> Teresa would sit there and go, how can you sit there and look at this baby and think it just randomly happened? The entire process and the existence of the baby we look at nature and we admire and we acknowledge the existence of the creator who created it. We see the design built in nature and we acknowledge the, uh, the existence of a designer who built that. We see that something exists instead of nothing and we acknowledge the fact that somebody had to be the first cause to cause that to happen for anything to come into existence. And that first cause, that designer, is God. Why? Because it wouldn't have happened any other way. When I look, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, back to David, tending his father's sheep, he is sitting on this little speck of ground. He is sitting on this little speck of ground with his little stupid sheep around him and his little tiny fire, and he just sits there and he looks at all the magnitude of creation, and he goes, what am I that you even care about us? Not just me, okay, but all of humanity. Why does God care about us? Huh. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? I know that normally the phrase in the New Testament, the son of man, refers to Christ. I'm thinking here it just talks about the son of man. My descendants. Not only do you why do you care about me? Why do you care about my children? Why do you care about the next generation or the next generation or the next generation? Why do you care about us? What is the answer to that question?
Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, maybe not you. Maybe you're a nice person. <laughs> but I know what you're thinking. I'm pretty hot stuff. I'm pretty cool. I can do things. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing most of the time. I'm pretty cool stuff. God ought to like me. Why? Why would God like you more than the elephant in the zoo? The elephant's a lot bigger than you. We might be able to argue that elephant's smarter than you. I don't know. On a whole different topic, I did read an article yesterday in last week's Economist about narco-hippos, but that's a whole different story. Why does God care about us? You, you want to answer this question, don't you? But he also created the elephants. <laughs> we are created in the image of God. I like what one pastor said. You know, I've got kids and I've got dogs. If push comes to shove, well, sometimes those dogs are smarter than my kids. He had small kids. But you know, if push comes to shove, the dog is toast. Why? Because the dog is not made in the image of God. God said to who? God, let us make mankind in our, our image. And thus Adam was created, and thus Eve was created, and we are metaphysically different than everything else that exists in creation. What makes us different? It actually is a huge debate, but let me suggest a few things. We are this bizarre creature that is a physical being with a spiritual nature. Or are we a spiritual being that happens to have a body? I don't know. It doesn't matter. We are different than all of creation. Why do we care about unborn babies? Because those unborn babies are made in the image of God. Why do we care? Now, I will add, sometimes we don't care very much. And that's a whole different problem. When I, David says, look at the mass of creation, the, mag the majesty of the stars, of the moon, of the mountains, of all of this stuff, why do you care about us? Because we are made in the image of God to have fellowship with God. Now, I am not going to say that God needs us to have fellowship. God doesn't need anything. But God has chosen to create us to have fellowship with him in a way that, to the best of our knowledge, does not apply to the rest of creation. Why do I say to the best of our knowledge? I do not know. Do not come up and complain to me. I do not know whether dogs, cats, elephants, or whoever goes to heaven. I knew, do know, I do know that we as human beings, made in the image of God, 
will or will not spend eternity in fellowship with God. We will if we begin our day by saying, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We will not if we choose using the free will that God has bestowed upon us to look God in the eye and say no. And God will eventually say, you want to say no? Okay. What is man that you are mindful of him? Now, David, at this point in his life, is not suffering from pride. He's not suffering from pride because he's not sitting there going, you know, I'm pretty hot stuff. You ought to like me. I'm reminded of Moses talking to the nation of Israel at the end of the book of Deuteronomy where he says, God did not choose you, nation of Israel, because you were the biggest nation. He didn't choose you because you were the best nation. In fact, all you do is complain. God chose you because he had made a promise to Abraham, and God will keep his promises. Guess what? God created us in his image to make, have fellowship with him, and God will do what it takes. You know, we talk about humanity having intrinsic value because of, well, because of we're human. And I, can, I, I will kind of accept that, except when I begin to think that that intrinsic value is something that I have created. The intrinsic value we have is because of the value that God has put upon us. God has given us value, and that is what is astounding to David. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet, yet, David, lying on his back, billions of stars, wow, why do you care about this little speck of stuff called me? Yet, yet, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. There is some discussion about what that phrase heavenly beings means. Uh, some people translate it angels. Some people translate it God himself. Some people just say other gods. But whatever it is, there is a spiritual realm, there are spiritual beings. I would think it means angels. And we have been appointed a place just below the angels. Now, just to remind ourselves, there's the elephant, there's the cow, there's the narco-hippo, there's the rhinoceros, there's all the other animals, just list them all out, and we're above them. We are above them. Now, we're going to talk about this, so don't be led astray. Oh, that means I can kill all the elephants that I want. That means I can do anything I want. I can rape and pillage nature all I want because I have been given dominion. No, you have been given stewardship, and you'd better manage it well. That is what job God has given us. You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Here's another hard question. 
you have glory and honor. Who gave that to you? God. Now, I know um, I'm an Olympic athlete and I win some great event. This is pure fantasy, right? <laughs> I win some great event and I receive adoration, glory, and honor because I have done something magnificent. I'm a scientist of great renown and I develop the cure for the most horrible disease and I get a Nobel Prize and I receive glory and honor because of what I've done. I run for the office of the presidency of the United States, God forbid, and I win, God even more forbid, and I receive glory and honor and abuse, glory and honor because I have accomplished something. That is not what this passage is talking about at all. Because you and I, as human beings, ascribe glory and honor to people based on their accomplishments. This person accomplished a lot. This person accomplished a little bit less. This one was a little less. This one, and then that person over there has accomplished nothing. That one over there might as well be a babe and a child for all I care. Oh, wait. Out of the mail, the babes and children God has ordained praise to overcome the strong of this world. Why do you, you, have glory and honor? Some of you may have accomplished great things in life. You may have. Some of you may have done things that when you die, they'll say them at your funeral and people will go, wow, that's really cool. No. That is not why you have glory and honor. You have glory and honor because God gave it to you. We could go down to the nursery right downstairs, and every one of those children has glory and honor because God has given it to them. They have value not because of what they have accomplished, not because of what they have done, not even because of the potential that they could do something. They have glory and honor because God has given it to them. Why? Because they're made in the image of God to accomplish His purpose, to fulfill what He has told them to do, and to worship Him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. You may have noticed by the fact that I have already mentioned it twice that this whole concept of having dominion over nature is a controversial subject today. It's a controversial subject because we, as fallen human beings, remember, we are made in the image of God to have fellowship with God. Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God, had fellowship on a regular basis. It's like, hey, buddy, what are you up to? True fellowship. But when Adam and Eve 
were given a choice, given the ability to do something contrary to the will of God, they exercised that freedom and chose to eat the fruit that they were commanded not to eat. And by that action, sin entered into the world. Now let's think about this for just a moment. Before that event, God plopped them into a garden. And he said, tend to the garden, tend to the entire world. Now, I don't know how big this garden was. I suspect it wasn't that big. That's just pure speculation on my part. But what God wanted them to do is he wanted them and their descendants to take that garden and move it further out and further out and further out and cover the entire world with the garden. In my mind, that is the vision that God had when he told them to be fruitful and multiply and to tend the garden. But then sin entered the world. God punished the serpent. God punished Eve. God punished Adam. And he told them, guess what? What, it, what would have been the most wonderful gardening in the world is now going to produce thorns. By the sweat of your brow, you will pull, drag food and substance out of the ground. Now, I am not a gardener. My mother is. I'm not. But can you imagine what gardening was like on this side of the fall? Before the fall, there were no weeds. Everything grew. There is some speculation that it grew really big. There were no thorns. I'm out cutting branches yesterday, and I end up bleeding to death. I can't work in my yard without bleeding. Why? Because of the fall. God wanted Adam and Eve and their descendants to multiply and cover the earth and to tend it like a garden. A garden that would produce all the fruit and food that they could possibly ever need. And then sin entered the world, and all of a sudden, the ground is hard. The ground is dry, the ground is wet, the ground is this, the ground is that. And besides that, I want the piece of ground that you have. And guess what? I'm going to take it from you. I'm bigger than you are. I'm tougher than you are. I've got some good buddies back here who are bigger than you and tougher than you. And I'm going to take it and I'm going to do with it what I want because I'm going to do to the ground what I'm doing to you, which is ignore the fact that you are made in the image of God and have value and ignore the fact that God has given me the world, the earth, to tend like a garden. And we, as fallen humanity, have taken people and used them as objects and we've taken nature and used it as something to exploit. And guess what? We were called 
to live in a community of people made in the image of God and to tend the garden until it covered the entire world. You have given him dominion. Dominion is not the right to rape and pillage nature. Dominion is the responsibility to steward it and to exercise control over it. All sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. What God is doing is he's given them permission to take that ox, put a plow on it, and use that ox to plow the ground, to plow the garden, to spread. He's giving them permission to do that. I would say he's even giving them permission to eat that cow and eat the fish and all of that. But he is not giving him permission to use it to the detriment of humanity. And we end exactly where we started. It's kind of interesting. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Fabulous psalm. What is the psalm about? Is it about God? Yes. Is it about mankind? Yes. But it's about mankind only because God has given us the authority. No. God has given us honor and he has given us glory. Why? Because we won the race? Because we became the bigwig? Because we did something? No. He gave it to us as a gift. He created us in the image of God. And guess what we're supposed to do? Wake up in the morning and tell yourself, no, don't tell yourself, although that wouldn't hurt. Tell God, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then you get out of bed and you walk to wherever it is you're going that day and you begin to spread a little bit more of the garden, to spread a little bit more of what God has called you to do, wherever that is, whatever productive labor God has given to you, it could be running the largest company in the world or it could be tending to our grandchildren. That's the job that God has given you. And you know what? If you run the biggest corporation in the world, you have no more glory and honor in the eyes of God than if you tended the grandchild. None. Zero. And you and I have trouble believing that. We really do. I read the list of the 50 greatest people in the country, the 50 most in, the 100 most this, and I read those and go, wow, just a little me says, wouldn't it be cool to be on that list? Guess what? There's another list. Those upon whom God has bestowed glory and honor. And guess what? There's a room full of them downstairs in the nursery. And they've done squat. In fact, I could say all they've done is poop. <laughs> but you know what? They are made in the image of God. Before they had done anything, God bestowed glory and honor on them. Why? What is man? What is man that you are mindful of him? And that's the question David is asking. And that's the answer he's given. Because God has bestowed, we have received. 
not because we've done anything. In fact, when God wants to use the babes and infants to accomplish his purpose, he'll do that and he doesn't need you. I mean, it's like one pastor said, you know, God can use a donkey to spread his word. Sometimes he'll lower himself and use you instead. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the glory and honor that you have bestowed upon us. I pray, Lord, that we would acknowledge your majesty and your lordship. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.